Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Welcome to Vintage, everyone. Hey, if I've never met you before, my name is Pastor Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage. If you're watching online, welcome as well. I'm really excited about this message. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 22. We're in this series called Eating and Drinking. And I want to remind you of kind of really where the series came from, and especially in the Gospel of Luke. One of the things that Jesus does often is he has a meal with different people. In fact, uh, people around Jesus said this, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. So over the last several weeks, we've been looking at meals that Jesus has had with different people, people like the tax collector, the prostitute, the hungry, the distracted. Last week, our music arts director, Mark Anthony Thomas, preached on Jesus and the sick, the man who had dropsy. I want to encourage you, check out the link online. You will find all of our sermons, our sermon notes, particularly for this message. I have a lot of notes in this message. And so if you can't keep up taking notes, that's okay. Everything that you're going to see on the screen is online. So you can find all of that there. A recommended resource, A Meal with Jesus, a great short devotional read as well. I want you to do this as we kick off this message. I want you to close your eyes. If you're watching at home, close your eyes. And I want you to think about one of your most memorable experiences. When you remember it, I have a feeling that that memory takes you back to like you were there. For me, I think about my wedding almost 14 years ago to my wife Rachel. I think about the time that I visited Israel and I saw the Holy Land with my own two eyes. I think about the birth of both of my children, Gabriel and Emmeline. When I think about those memories, it takes me back to those experiences. Now, you can open your eyes. I want to share a quote with you that I've tweaked just a little bit to fit our context. It comes from that book I recommended, A Meal with Jesus. And here it is. If Vintage Church, that's my tweak, right? He didn't write about Vintage Church. But if Vintage Church stopped celebrating communion, what difference would it make? What difference would it make? We're going to look at Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. And one of the things that Jesus tells his disciples to do is to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. And the point of that remembering is it should take you back. And so here's the question. What do you remember when you take communion? What does Jesus want us to remember when we take communion? communion. So let's stand together as we read. We're going to read in Luke chapter 22 verses 7 through 20. Here's what Luke writes. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. 
So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. You may be seated. So what is happening in this passage? When we talk about the Last Supper, Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples, we're talking about what the church practices today. You might have heard it called communion. That's what we say at Vintage. You might have heard the Lord's Supper. If you grew up in a more liturgical tradition, you might have heard the Eucharist, right? All three of those phrases refer to what Jesus is giving us here in Luke chapter 22. So here's what I want us to think about. What happens when we participate in communion? When we participate in communion, number one, we remember God's redemption. We remember God's redemption. Go back and look at verse 8 first. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover. Everybody say Passover. Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this what? Everybody say it. Passover with you before I suffer. See, in order to understand communion or the Lord's Supper, in order to understand what's going on, you have to understand the Jewish background of the Last Supper. Jesus wasn't just having a random meal with his disciples and apostles. This was a strategic moment, one, in fact, that they would have had every single year. It was a Passover meal. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the Passover is a big deal. You go back to the book of Exodus, and just a, a note, in a couple of months, we're actually going to begin a two-year study through the book of Exodus. So we're going to be talking about this. But the book of Exodus is all about the people coming out of 
Egyptian slavery. The people of Israel had gone into Egypt, but the Pharaoh had forgotten who they were, and he, they grew and they multiplied, and so he enslaved them for 400 years. The people cry out to God. God hears their cry. Now, you probably know this story, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, right? Then Moses comes. There's 10 plagues. And then there is the Passover. The tenth plague is the death of the firstborn. But what God says is slaughter the Passover lamb and smear its blood on your doorpost. And when you do that, God will pass over you and spare you. So he passes over the people of Israel. And then there's the Exodus where they cross out of the land of Egypt through the Red Sea into the Promised Land. I want to take you back to Exodus 12. It's going to be a few verses, but I want you to follow. This is the command that God gives the people of Israel about the Passover. It says this, This day shall be for you a memorial day. What do we do on a memorial day? We remember. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. We'll talk about why unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on these days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for on this day i brought your hosts out of the land of egypt therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever in the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening for seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses if anyone eats what is leavened that person will be cut off from the congregation of israel Whether he's a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Now, I don't know about you, but those are pretty specific instructions about what to eat and what not to eat for the Passover. And all I say about that is that means it's pretty important. It's pretty significant as to what God is telling them. Now there's two things going on here that you have to understand about Passover. Number one, there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is the entire week. And in the middle of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the Passover, that one day that commemorates God passing over and delivering the people of Israel. This was also a pilgrimage festival. So what I mean by that is every Jew would come from wherever they're at to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this holy day. It's kind of like our anniversaries or birthdays, right? We celebrate a birthday every year or our anniversaries every year. Why? We commemorate either our birth or an important anniversary so we can remember it, so we can celebrate. So this is what is happening in Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. Now, what Luke doesn't do is he doesn't go into every detail about this meal. I want to give you just a quick overview of what a Passover meal looks like. 
believe it or not, Passover is actually not far from today. And I would encourage you, if you've never done this before, to go to a Seder meal, whether it's a, in a Jewish synagogue or whether it's with Messianic Jews, and you can sit through what a Passover meal is. And they will explain every single element. If you sit under a Messianic Jew, they're going to explain how Jesus fulfills much of this meal. But there's really four parts to a Passover meal. There's first the preliminary course. There's the blessing, there's hors d'oeuvres, and then the main meal is placed on the table. Now, if you've ever seen a Seder plate before, you're going to see a bunch of things. Number one, it's the lamb. There's lamb on the plate. Why is there lamb? Because the Israelites sacrificed the Passover lamb. It's the sacrifice that saved them. There's unleavened bread. The reason it's unleavened is because they were to leave quickly out of Egypt. So they didn't have time for the bread to rise. So it's all unleavened. There was salt water. There were bitter herbs describing, basically depicting their uh, bitter slavery. There was fruit puree on there. And then there were four cups of red wine. Now that's going to be important in just a moment. So that's kind of the first part. Number two there's then an explanation of the meal that's given, either by the host or the head of the family. And then they recite or sing the first part of the Hallel Psalms. If you're unfamiliar with that, that's Psalms 111 through 113. And at this point, they've already had one cup of wine, but there might be then a second cup of wine. Now, it's interesting, if you go back and you look at Luke chapter 22... What you're going to notice is Luke saying Jesus mentions a cup of wine twice. The first cup of wine is either the first cup or the second cup that we're talking about here, which again tells us that this was a Passover meal. The third part of this meal is the main meal with the blessing of the unleavened bread and the blessing of the third cup. This is the elements that Jesus is referring to where he breaks the bread and he takes the cup. He tells them to eat the bread and drink the cup. That's this part of the meal. And then lastly, there's a conclusion where there's more hors d'oeuvres and they recite or sing the second part of the Hallel Psalms, Psalms 114 through 118. And then there's the fourth cup of wine. All of this is so important because it gives you some context as to what is happening and why this meal is so important. This wasn't, again, just a random meal. This was a meal to remember God's redemption. And here's what I want you to understand that we've already looked at. The Last Supper was a Passover meal. Now, because it was a Passover meal, here's the thing. Jesus was remembering God's redemption of Israel from physical slavery. Now, I want to take just a quick pause and, and talk to you briefly about a theological note. Because one of the things, communion can be a very divisive topic. Because different traditions believe different things about the bread and about the wine, right? If you are Catholic, Catholics believe in a thing called transubstantiation. Say that three times fast, right? Transubstantiation, I can't even say it once, refers to the elements changing. 
So when you see the bread and you see the wine, once the priest blesses those elements, the Catholic Church believes they, they transform into the body of Christ and into the blood of Christ. They still look like bread, still look like wine, but they're not. Lutherans believe in a thing called consubstantiation, where it's still bread and it's still wine, but the body of Christ is in the bread and the blood of Christ is in the wine. Now, here's what I want you to see. I think that what Jesus is really getting at is the significance of remembering. And you can remember and at the same time believe in the spiritual presence of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is present through his Holy Spirit everywhere. But I think one of the things that the Catholic Church and Lutherans and others miss is why would these elements transform into the literal person of Jesus when they didn't do that as a Passover meal? The point was to sit down and have a meal and remember what God had done. So Jesus, because this was a Passover meal, he was remembering God's redemption of Israel. But here's what I want you to see, and this is so important for us. At the same time, Jesus was foretelling God's redemption of the church from spiritual slavery. In taking the cup and in taking the wine and telling his disciples to do this in remembrance of him, it's passed on to us as a reminder that Jesus, this was Maundy Thursday, right? The next day in the Holy Week is Good Friday. And Jesus is saying, literally, in less than 24 hours, this is going to happen. I'm going to die for my church. And I'm going to provide redemption. The word redemption is being bought back. And the point that Jesus is getting at is that every single one of us are enslaved to sin. Meaning, we don't want to follow God's way. We want our way. And Jesus is saying, listen, what this meal is doing is it's foretelling what I'm about to do. So the first thing that I want you to see is that we remember God's redemption when we participate in communion. But number two, when we participate in communion, we also remember Jesus' sacrificial death. Look at the end of verse 15. It's a very simple statement. He says, before I suffer. And then go back and look at verse 19. This is Jesus taking the bread. Luke writes, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Meaning, it's a sacrifice. I'm giving up of myself. Now, here's the interesting thing. This isn't the first time that Jesus has been connected to the Passover, I don't know if you remember, but when Jesus begins his earthly ministry and he's going to be baptized, John the Baptist, his cousin, says something about him. John 1.29, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember, what was the animal that was sacrificed? It was a lamb. So Jesus is at once the slaughtered Passover lamb and the broken bread. 
He is at once this sacrifice that can make us right with God. And He is at once the bread that is broken for us that we can be made right with God. That is the gospel message. That Jesus came and lived a perfect life. The sacrificial lamb had to be what? Spotless. A perfect sacrifice. That there would be no defect or deformities. And Jesus came to this earth and he was perfect and he put on flesh and he lived a perfect life and then he went to the cross good friday and he died for our sins but he didn't stay dead he rose from the grave easter sunday and that is the gospel message and what jesus was getting at in this last supper is that this is what he was going to do and in other places in scripture what God tells us is that we have to respond to this message. Every time we talk about the gospel, we talk about our response, that we repent, that we turn away from our sins. We've been living one way, and God says to turn away from them. And then in faith, we trust the work of Jesus. That he, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave saves us. And then we publicly confess that through baptism. Going under the water, the Going under the water, being immersed in the waters, literally symbolizing the death and burial of Jesus, but coming up out of the water symbolizes the resurrection of Jesus. And when we do that, we make the gospel our own. So if we're to remember Jesus' sacrificial death, how then should we understand Jesus' death? I want to encourage you to think about these four words as themes of Jesus' death. Number one, sacrifice. We've just talked about that. That's literally what Jesus is talking about here. And part of what makes it a sacrifice is that he was a substitute. He took our place, and at the same time, it was costly. It cost Jesus his life. But there's also victory. Part of Jesus dying on the cross is that there was victory over sin, death, and hell. And because of that victory, there's forgiveness. That because God is holy, we are sinful, we've offended God, but He forgives us of our sin. And lastly, there's love. Because at the cross, we understand how much God loves us. I recently read a book on the cross for the season of Lent, and this is what the author said about the cross and about this meal, and I think it's so appropriate. He says this, When Jesus wanted to explain to his followers what his forthcoming death was all about, he did not give them a theory, a model, a metaphor, or any other such thing. He gave them a meal, a Passover meal. So we understand, we just talked about redemption, right? We remember God's redemption, and we remember Jesus' sacrificial death. And what we see is that Jesus' death is what made our redemption possible. What allowed the people of Israel to be redeemed by God was the blood of the sacrificial lamb. And in the same way, what allows us to be redeemed by God is the blood of Christ shed for us. So we remember God's redemption, we remember Jesus' sacrificial death, 
Next, we remember God's new covenant. We've already talked about the bread, right? He says, this is my body broken for you. And then in verse 20, look at what he says about the cup. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, when we think about covenant in our world, we don't talk about that a lot. There's not a lot of things that are covenants, but in the ancient world, covenants were common. And I want you to think about it like this. A covenant is simply God's relationship, his commitment to his people, and vice versa. God's people, their relationship to God and their commitment. So there's an old covenant, because if there's a new covenant, that means what? There's an old one, right? Again, Exodus, the book of Exodus, Exodus 24, explains this new covenant. And just so you see this, this is some of the things that was in Jesus' mind as he's talking about this cup. Verse 7, Then he took the book of the covenant, this is Moses, and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. So there was blood shed, right, to ratify this old covenant, to make this relationship between God and the people of Israel. But here was the problem with the old covenant. It wasn't God. It was that Israel did not uphold their end of the covenant. The Bible describes Israel as an unfaithful spouse. Because what God said is, listen, I'm always going to uphold my covenant. There's nothing that's going to keep me from loving you and doing everything I can for you. But you have to uphold this commitment as well. The people of Israel don't. So if there's an old covenant, Jesus refers to the new covenant. And just as Exodus 24 would have been in the back of Jesus' mind as he talks about this, I also believe that Jeremiah 31, 31 would have been there as well. Listen to what the prophet said. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In this very moment, Jesus is saying, listen, that prophecy, what Jeremiah promised the people of Israel, it is coming true, it is coming to fruition in me and in my death. Just as the bull's blood ratified the old covenant, Jesus' blood ratifies the new covenant. And we can be in relationship with God because Jesus stands in as our perfect and faithful substitute. He is the perfect Israel. And so even when we fail and don't uphold our covenant with God and our commitment to God, Jesus always upholds His commitment. And because of that, this new covenant lasts forever. So 
When we participate in communion, we remember God's redemption, Jesus' sacrificial death. We remember this new covenant. But lastly, I want you to see this. And I think this is so important and something that we often miss. We remember our future hope. Now, I don't know about you. Living in the day and age that we live, living in the world that we live right now, I think we always need hope. And Jesus reminds his apostles and ultimately us that there is always a future hope. Look at verse 16 first. He says, For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 18. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, there's two things that are really simple about those two verses that are so important for us to remember. Number one, there's a simple word, and I can't remember what it is in English, but it's the word until. Everybody say until. Come on now, say it like you mean it. Until. Simple word, right? But what it means is that there's something that's going to come. That something hasn't happened yet. And then the other phrase is the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we talk about this thing that it's, it's already but not yet. That when Jesus came and he died and he rose, the kingdom of God came to earth. But part of what Jesus is saying is it's not fully fulfilled yet. That there is more. There is a future hope for you and I. What we need to remember is that the cross was not the end of Jesus. Amen? What the- What that means for us is that Jesus didn't die on the cross and stay dead. It's a good Friday because there's an Easter Sunday. He didn't stay dead. There was the resurrection. There was a few days later the ascension. And what we read and know from the Word and what Jesus promised is that there will be a return. Jesus will return physically, visibly, and triumphantly. And when he returns, he will judge sin and evil, recreate all of creation, and rule forevermore. Last week, as Mark Anthony was preaching about the parables with the man with dropsy, I thought about Revelation 19. And I'm actually glad he didn't reference it because now I get to reference it, right? Verses 6 through 9 in the book of Revelation, particularly in Revelation 19, they're looking at the end. This is Jesus coming back and all things being made new. Look at what it says. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Look at verse 7. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, don't forget what Jesus said. What did he say? I won't taste of the vine again until the kingdom comes. 
See, what Jesus is referencing without even saying it is what we just read in Revelation 19. That a moment is going to come when Jesus returns, and in his return, the kingdom of God comes fully. Everything is recreated. We are resurrected, made in new bodies. Evil is defeated. All things are right, and we sit with Christ forever. I thought about it like this. I put, you know, I'm putting a lot of work into my house right now. I bought, my wife and I bought a house just over a year ago, and every project I pay for or personally complete is a reminder of my future hope for my house, right? That's the thing I'm learning about home ownership, that it's like the house is never complete. And so every time I pay for something to get done or every time I do work, it's a future hope of what I hope my house will be like. That I'm one step closer. Here's what I want you to see. Every time we participate in communion, we anticipate Christ's return. It is a reminder for us not just to remember His death. Yes, that's important. But His death was not the end of the story. It's a reminder for us to anticipate that the end of the story is His return. When all things are made new. It's like watching that show, right? You, you watch it. That's the thing I love about Netflix is like you don't have to worry, or any of these streaming services, you don't have to worry about waiting to next week to watch like the next episode because you're hanging you're on the edge of your seat. It's a cliffhanger and you're like, man, if I could just see the end. We know the end with Jesus. It wasn't just his death. It just wasn't just his resurrection. It, it will be his return. So remember Jesus' broken body and shed blood for the redemption of his church. We remember. I want you to think back to the very beginning of the sermon when I said close your eyes and think about that memorable moment. I want you to think about what you remembered. What was that moment? Because the incredible thing about memories and the incredible thing about remembering is it is, it is as if you are participating all over again in that moment. Right? I've, I, we were talking about like birth the other day. I think it was like last week. And I started to vividly remember the details of my children being born. I'm not going to share those with you because uh, you probably don't want to hear them. My wife definitely doesn't want me to tell them, right? But it, it takes me back to that moment, and all of a sudden, I'm there holding my newborn son, holding my newborn daughter, right? Or I'm seeing my wife walking down the aisle. Those are moments, and when we remember them, we participate in them. And here's what I want you to understand, correct? Because what we've been talking about is remembering, 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 but it's more than just remembering. When we remember Christ's body broken for us, and when we remember his blood shed for us, we participate in that. It's more than just a mental exercise, but it takes us there to that moment and we see our Savior 
crucified for our sins. I want to share this last quote with you from a meal with Jesus that I think encapsulates everything that we've been trying to say. He says, sharing a meal with other people in the presence of the Holy Spirit, breaking a loaf that someone has baked, remembering together the cross, praying together, all these things affect us. The Lord's Supper is more than a mere memorial. It's more than just remembering. It changes us. Yes, we remember God's redemption. We remember Jesus' sacrificial death. We remember our new covenant. And we remember our future hope. But every time we take communion, as we remember, we begin to participate in the death of Jesus. And every time we participate in the death of Jesus, it should change us. Every sermon in this series, we've been corporately praying a prayer together, and I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud. You're going to see the words on the screen. Father, we praise you for your redemption. We know you love us because you not only redeemed us from our sin, but also entered into a relationship with us. Thank you for your son, Jesus who willingly substituted himself for us. He died on the cross, becoming our sacrifice for our sin. Help us to remember your redemption, his death, your covenant, and our hope each and every time we participate in communion. May we approach this meal with earnestness and expectation. Every time we participate in communion, may those separated from you hear and see your gospel, and may they be compelled to experience your love. In Jesus' name.